Yeehaw, gentlemen! This is the ghost of Bob Stupak here, welcoming you to the Stratosphere Tower Hotel and Casino in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. We've got the world's largest neon sign. What? We didn't make that? Okay, well, we've got a King Kong that'll climb you straight to the top of the thousand foot tower. Huh? Didn't make that either. Well, what about a roller coaster that plunges you straight down towards the old Las Vegas Strip? It is out of sight. What? That bankrupted the engineering firm. Uh, whatever. There's no way we can lose. Roll them bones, boys. This is on bit. Welcome, dreamers of all ages, to another episode of Unbuilt, an unrealized theme park podcast. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Dorman. How are we doing today? Doing great. Doing great. You're finally back from your vacation. Yes. Yeah, and you know, if you if you could believe it, uh, well, I guess we'll get into the topic in a bit, but uh, the, the heat wave going across the United States puts mm-hmm. me really in the mood for what we're about to talk about today. Yeah, we're going to go into the desert, to my mm. neck of the woods. Um, if you guys <laughs> didn't know, I live in Las Vegas. I've lived here for most of my life. I, uh, my, I, I was born in California, but our house was devastated in the 1994 Northridge earthquake. So we moved here. Uh, to get away from like natural disasters and stuff that California has that we really don't here have in Las Vegas. So I've lived here most of my life. And that's why we will be talking about Las Vegas. If you didn't know, 1990 had a big family friendly boom in Las Vegas. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with any of that? No. And, and actually having been around Las Vegas recently, I'm, I wonder if any of that made it into the present day. Some of it is. A lot of it isn't. (laughs) (laughs) We're an unbuilt podcast, so we won't talk about stuff like MGM Grand Adventures. But there's a lot of interesting stuff if you want to look about it. It's not particularly great stuff. Some of it is really cool, like Star Trek. The the Star Trek experience. Right. That that I've heard uh, uh, a a lot about Mm -hmm. just from from history and stuff like that. I guess so. Obviously, Las Vegas not necessarily known for its child-friendly entertainment. Not anymore. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of like this weird thing where they were like the the whole mafia gambling sort of thing, and then they tried to get away from that with the family-friendly stuff when all these corporations started taking over and building all these themed resorts. Mm-hmm. And then they discovered that nobody wants to do that because the – the, it really doesn't mix. And in the right. 2000s, they decided, let's just go for the sin and sin city. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Mm. A lot Seemingly of that. a more uh, lucrative business than roller coasters, right? Oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but before we get to any of that, we do have to talk about something that was recently unbuilt or more accurately not built anymore Welcome to Not Built Anymore, our first segment about a recently retired attraction 
although t- retired, <laughs> this is more of an abortion than a retirement. <laughs> really, it is. Uh, this is the NBA experience, which lasted approximately seven months. Uh, the NBA experience was a replacement for Disney Quest and Disney Springs, which you were recently. Did you go to Disney Springs? Yes. Yeah, I did. did. In fact, did- I was I was standing in front of the NBA experience uh, pretty much when I first read the uh, uh, the the slew of tweets that came about the untimely demise. Nice. You so say you didn't get to see them taking the posters down. No, I saw, uh, I know, I saw a piece of paper on the front door that said, you know, this building is, or we're closed, I guess. Yeah. It, it, it looked like it was just any daily closure. But I, I kid you not, I kid you not, immediately after reading the tweet about the thing being closed, I saw a family walk up to the door and try to walk in. <laughs> and uh, and they and they they couldn't get in, so they should have reopened. They would have had their first customer, would... <laughs> <laughs> their first one. That <laughs> we could have started from there. The NBA experience once again was a replacement for Disney Quest. It opened up in August of 2019. Immediately, immediately failed to gain people. I think the most people it ever saw was those media previews with the vloggers <laughs> <laughs> and then uh there were like several cast members outside dribbling basketballs trying to get people to come inside mm-hmm. but yes yeah, so I, rem- I remember that it, it, and, but because you had to pay to get in the building you did right? it, was 30, it was it was 34 dollars Right. Person. So because it was unless you were trying to go into the gift shop, which I right. believe had a separate entrance on the left, uh, you had to pay to enter the building, mm-hmm. which I always thought was vaguely confusing because you would see like maybe a family, one family mm-hmm. in through the uh, through the window or something like that. Right. Um, but perhaps that business idea uh, did not pan out into the. <laughs> into the idea's lifespan. I think so. they would have struggled and obviously kept up on it a little bit more if the pandemic didn't come out. And Sure. And when that happened, it was just very obvious that this is not working out. We don't know when we're going to reopen this thing. We don't know because it's an entirely indoor experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just decided to call it quits with the NBA. Now, whether or not anything is done anytime soon, we don't know. They did file a demolition permit, not for the building. I don't think the building's getting demoed. But for the panels that are outside, like depicting NBA players. Right. So those are being taken down. That pretty much gives us an indication, as if this wasn't obvious enough, that... Whatever this will become, it will not be about the NBA. Well, they're in a a tricky situation at the moment because when it opened, it was, of course, taking over the Disney Quest building uh, and was the basically the premier uh, location in the the west side. Right. Because Cirque du Soleil wasn't open. And I think that restaurant, I don't remember what the name of it is. hadn't opened yet but the, the restaurant bongos uh, is that what you're talking about bongos thank you Indiana. yes uh yeah that that wasn't open yet and this was the at the way as they were refurbishing the springs and adding the food trucks and stuff like that to the west side mm-hmm. the nba experience was supposed to keep things kind of running now the area is uh still the cirque du soleil isn't open but it's you know planned to open it's planned i think open, in, yeah. right it's relatively soon a uh, november um, is it november I think so. Yeah. It's definitely later this year. Mm-hmm. And then there's a restaurant now close to Cirque du Soleil in the Disney Quest building. Well, and then the, the M&M building. store. It's, it's not the building. They demolished the building and then they rebuilt it. Whatever. The Disney Quest spot, I guess I yes. should say. Yeah. Like where, where Disney Quest was standing is now an M&M experience. Um, it took longer. this restaurant. It took longer to demolish Disney Quest. Than it did to operate this NBA experience and replaced it. Well, the best thing is the the people who are coming out and saying that they were vindicated for liking Disney Quest, mm. which I don't think is <laughs> is what's happening here. Right. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, as like 
people who are interested in theme parks. I don't think it ever made any sense to do the NBA experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was something that I remember when it first came out, I thought that I was just going to be proven wrong and that uh, people are, you know, more into NBA than I thought. Um, But of course, COVID maybe kneecapped it. But I I thought that before I saw what was inside, when I saw was what was inside, I immediately went, this isn't going to work. Right. I, I guess because I know that and uh, was it the NFL experience in the near uh, New York, right? Was pretty mm-hmm. popular. It was um, fairly successful, although let's be honest, it's in a more highly trafficked area. Than that's a good point. Disney Springs, where especially that area, right? And I think that also the NBA experience was just so much more of a confused product as well. Yeah, it's the the location now is kind of it's confusing too, especially as things built around it. Because I, I was looking it up, there's the City Works, um, I guess brewery that opened up near there. Right. Yeah, the City um, Works. And I, I think that's remaining open. Yes, it seems like every. I mean, everything is going to stay in operation mm-hmm. at that area of the the shopping district. Just the NBA of experience will probably be gutted. I was curious as to your thoughts, though. Do you think that they're going to embark on a more like uh, experimental, quote unquote, experience like this, where they want to sell a ticketed themed event that's, or uh, uh, experience? Or do you think they're just the going to open up a shopping mall? That's yeah. the question everybody has. Right. My opinion is that whatever is going to go into that spot and whatever it is, it's not coming anytime soon. Mm-hmm. My guess is the second that we are out of the pandemic in in that not that we've reached herd immunity, more like when we are at a sustainable area where everything is more confident again, that's when the Walt Disney Company will start exploring more options and uh, mm-hmm. to what to do with this experience. So that's when I think they will start looking at, okay, here's what we can do with with this spot. And then whatever it's going to be is not going to be an interior shopping mall. I don't think that's hmm. going to happen. It's going to be a, soul, a wholly ticketed experience. You think whatever. that they're still going to commit to this out of theme park? experience kind of option possibly now whatever Mm. that is going to be whether it's a themed immersive experience whether it's a museum i've seen a lot of people float around a walt disney world museum or a disney theme parks museum or even a disney museum (laughs) period which i think is a good idea i'm not 100 sure that'll exactly work what I do know is it's a better idea than the NBA experience, which was just trying to grab on to uh, – it, it was really trying to go for internationals where the uh, the NBA was becoming more popular overseas. And, of course, when the pandemic hits and nobody on uh, international can come here, that's mm-hmm. sort of a bust. Uh, but I, I think if you tie it in more with Disney, it'll become more of a success – Especially considering that Cirque du Soleil is now a Disney animation show. So it's 100% Disney over there. It would make more sense for this to be also a Disney flavor. Right. You know, and especially after something like the Epcot experience opened where they're maybe testing the waters of just having open showrooms at their Mm -hmm. parks. uh, I think there's definitely an option for doing something like that in Disney Springs with the location to have, whether it be a ticketed entrance or, or some kind of, I don't know, sell food from the parks, right. advertise new things. Um, this certainly doesn't make sense to try to bank on a property that isn't Disney, especially right with what you're saying. Uh, you have a big real estate area next to what is going to be your hopefully premier um nighttime entertainment venue so uh, with with the disney theme it it seems almost undoubted that they're going to do something like that Uh, that entire analogous option that entire area of west side 
if I remember correctly, the whole idea was that it was going to be the entertainment corridor because you have over there, what do you have like Planet Hollywood, um, Cirque? I'm just talking in terms of the late 90s. You had uh, Cirque, um, the movie theaters, Planet Hollywood, mm-hmm. and Disney Quest. And also back there was also, I think the Virgin Megastore was also back there as well. So it had this mm-hmm. kind of entertainment theme. Right. And I House think of Blues too. House of Blues, that's right. House of Blues was right. there. And it also was uh, right next to one of the entrances for Pleasure Island back in the day. Mm-hmm. I, I think it makes a definite sense to keep it sort of that entertainment theme, which is why, you know, a Disney Museum would be a really cool option. Of course, there's the fact that it, it comes in, what's the price? And, and I know there's a lot of discussion. One thing we're not talking about today is the Disney Genie. And not like opening that up, it's like a <laughs> whole can of worms. So the only thing I'm going to say about that is that a lot of talk has been happening about microtransactions theme park wise. And there is the mentality of, well, I'm already paying this much. I might as well pay $15 for FastPass. That sort of mentality does not come into play so much as when you get to something like Disney Springs. I think that Disney right. Quest made more sense when you had something like Pleasure Island opened. So it was kind of this release valve for kids. But the fact is, is that what whatever it has to be, it has to be something that people will be interested in. It also has to be a price point that is reasonable. And I I think that's a difficult concept for the Walt Disney Company to really wrap their heads around because I don't think you spend $34 on a whim for something that's a little bit more unknown or bare bones. It has to be something that makes sense almost immediately, almost to where this point is. Okay. Okay. I get this. I get what exactly this is going to be. And I get, this is why this is worth my money. Also. I think if it's a Walt Disney museum, it has to be like something like 20 bucks. It has to be Hmm. like 15, $20. It has to be a reasonable price point. Yeah. I, I, obviously I don't want to, you know, we're going to, we have things to move on to talk about, but, um, I guess to keep it short, the the problem with like extending that whole additional payment on top of the theme park thing is that you can easily convince a guest you've already paid a hundred dollars to go to the theme park. Don't you want to maximize that hundred bucks by giving me another fifteen, right? And then you get on ride X Y Z. Disney right. Springs is that that seems unrealistic because if you've already been excuse me to the parks that day and you've dropped your $100, let's say, you know, ignoring a world with Genie. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. Just to say you dropped your theme park money, and now you're taking the kids to Disney Springs to get, uh, you know, a dinner or, or a snack or something like that, or merchandise. The last thing I think people are interested in doing is spending another ticket price. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to convince people to, after having already spent a ticket price during the day, to pay for another ticket. Um, and like you said, I never thought about that. Disney Quest offered basically a babysitting service for Pleasure Island. The parents could go do something at Pleasure Island, and Disney Quest <laughs> takes over all of that. Right. Um, that's something obviously the NBA experience couldn't do. And it's something where, while I like the idea of a Walt Disney Museum, like in principle, um, the concern that I guess I'd have is number one, I don't think most people are going to be willing to pay money for a museum while on vacation. And number mm-hmm. two, I don't think that the night crowd, the crowd who come to Disney Springs to do their mm. high class shopping and stuff like that, the people who aren't there on vacation, the 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 small local crowd that might come, I don't think they're going to be particularly interested in revisiting a museum. That's a great times. point. There's no there's no revisiting right. power there as well as that's so much more of a day thing. It's not exactly. much more of a night thing. It doesn't really blend the way that Disney Quest did. I mean, Disney Quest was a giant arcade, so it made more mm-hmm. sense that it would be a day-long endeavor. Well, Disney Quest, it's the thing is you have to find like a weird balance between you need to have something unique enough that tourists are going to come spend their money, but also active enough and, I guess, revisitable enough so that the mm-hmm. locals are going to return. And that's where Disney Quest, at least in concept, Seems like it made a bit more sense. Um, and the NBA experience, I don't necessarily know how likely somebody would be to come there multiple times. It seems like a one-time... I mean, maybe that's what Disney wants, but it does it's yeah. like a one-time kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. if They could follow in steps with Disneyland, right? How many times can you do... <laughs> 
arcade three froze or play NBA Jam is the question. Well, it d- depends. Yeah. Ask like a, a pizza up kid from the nineties, mm-hmm. <laughs> like Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> well, I, that, the question is, is like where the last thing I'll say is that we're talking about this from like the perspective of actually wanting to see like good things at the park. Right. And time and time again, recently we're seeing that that is not what Disney's necessarily thinking because um, I think you, you mentioned this, you said this on Twitter. I I caught your, your tweet. Uh, We're, we're talking about this, like, Disney's going to open something akin to Disney Quest or the NBA experience and that they wouldn't be simply comfortable with slapping a couple of Mickey Mouse walls and opening it well, the for Instagram selfie museum. pictures. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because you meant you you appropriately noted um that the ESPN zone closed in uh Disneyland and just <laughs> what was re- what it was replaced with was a photo booth, right? So, yeah. um I, I don't think anything's out of the the ballpark here, mm-hmm. except maybe a sentimental <laughs> Walt Disney World, Walt right. Disney Museum. That that seems almost too artsy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if whatever it is, it won't be for many, many years. That's for sure. Mm. So take that superstar limo. Uh, uh, so and now uh with that said let's move on to our main topic the unbuilt rides of stratosphere tower las vegas here we are at our main topic we were talking at the start of the show but uh you've never been to the stratosphere tower right no. In fact, honestly, this might be the first I've ever heard of it. So. <laughs> it's it's the, the first time you've even like laid eyes on it, like on Google or. Oh, well, I, I, I in doing mild uh, research, right, I, I, I've seen it before, but having been to Vegas now twice mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I mean, the most recent time I was there for like <laughs> six hours, eight right. hours, but um <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually don't even think my I ever processed it mentally. Um, I guess Vegas has a, a very diverse set of buildings along mm-hmm. the scape. It it definitely does. It has a very interesting skyline. That's for <laughs> sure. The Stratosphere Tower, uh, you would be more familiar, I'm guessing, with like something like the Space Needle CN Tower. Yes, because that's what it's supposed to, uh, pretty much evacuate. That it's, it's supposed to remind you of one of those things mm, except the probably a little more garish <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's las vegas yes <laughs> so what we're going to be talking about here is the unbuilt rides so there are two rides on there which we'll discuss but there were some ideas that they did not utilize and there are some very interesting ideas so with that said let's get into what is it Let's, let's start with a little bit of a prologue. On March 2nd, 1933, Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shostak's uh, King Kong premiered at the Radio City Music Hall in New York City. In the film, filmmaker Carl Denham sets off to Skull Island with a film crew and a beautiful actress, only to find an enormous gorilla King Kong awaiting them. After rendering the creature unconscious, Denim transports Kong to New York as the eighth wonder of the world on Broadway. However, Kong does not last long in captivity, breaking loose and kidnapping the actress, scaling to the top of the Empire State Building only to be gunned down by swarming planes. In the film's final scene, Dim comments that it was not the planes that did Kong in, but is instead beauty that killed the beast. The film was an immediate sensation with not only its incredible special effects, but especially in the in- instantly iconic visage of the great monkey King Kong. In the 1980s, following a 1976 reboot, Imagineer Bob Gurr was tasked with helping the Universal Studios tour make an enormous robotic figure of King Kong. Opening in June 1986, the King Kong encounter shook tore trams up with a 7-ton, 30-foot Kong straddling the Brooklyn Bridge. Universal soon planned on expanding the attraction into confrontation for for their Universal Studios Florida theme park. But in Las Vegas, a casino man had his own ideas brewing for a Kong experience. In 1989, casino entrepreneur Bob Stupak owned the Vegas World Hotel and Casino, which had a unique space theme. 
Inside, there was a replica of the Apollo lunar module, a life-size astronaut hanging from the ceiling, and alleged moon rocks, approximately the size of a grain of rice collected from the Nicaraguan government. Stupak was always aiming for more and proposed the world's largest neon sign ranging from heights between 1,012 feet and 1,800 feet. For those not knowing, the CN Tower is about 1,800 feet. The proposal was soon changed due to the city's limit on signage due to, to include an observation deck and restaurant. In 1990, the city proved Stupak's tower, then aptly named Stupak Tower, as he wanted a structure to be what the Eiffel Tower did for Paris or what the Empire State Building did for New York. Little did he know, later that decade, Las Vegas would actually see half-scale replicas of each. Nevertheless, Stupak further finessed the tower, wanting amusement rides to be included on the structure. An early concept called for a rotating capsule ride on top of the tower, giving riders a 360-degree spin over the edge. You can kind of imagine this like a, taking a Ferris wheel on its side. Does that make sense? That seems horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually this was refined the two attractions. A 160-foot SNS Space Shot Tower at the 920-foot mark and the High Roller, a premier fa- rides family coaster that encircled the 900-foot observation deck area that reached speeds of 35 miles per hour. These opened with the tower in 1996 after a four-year-long construction period. A third attraction, however, was proposed that would actually load from the tower's base. So let's talk about the base of the tower. Uh, And by the way, by this time, they renamed it from Stupak Tower to the Stratosphere Tower with a full re-theme of the casino itself. Uh, The casino was totally re-themed to like a World's Fair vibe. If you go to Stratosphere right now, once again, it's been renamed to Strat, which nobody cares about. Uh, everybody just calls it the Stratosphere Tower. Uh, they said that locals called it the Strat, but I don't know if I believe that because I never <laughs> called it the Strat. Who calls it the Strat? So the base of the tower includes a circular deck that gets, contains an elevator loading to the observation deck, as well as a shopping mall that runs upward in a circular fashion in the outer ring. The mall is themed to three distinct areas, Manhattan, Chinese, and France. Uh, I actually remember going to this mall. This is one of my earliest memories of the Stratosphere Tower. My parents took us here in 1996. We went. And this is the first time we ever went up into the tower. And they had it's this like circular mall. And it's really sad now. Um, I'll reveal later that I actually went about a month ago to check out how the Stratosphere was doing. And it's all boarded up now, but and it's really, really sad. Um, it's just like all this boarded up theming. But the, uh, the uh, one of my biggest memories was that we went through this mall and in it was a toy store. And in the toy store, sitting in the middle of the room was a nintendo 64 this is the first time i've ever seen super mario 64 and that blew my mind so just to take you on uh that that's that's when this was all occurring um that's like one of my fondest memories was actually seeing super mario 64 at that time and i think this was before you were born is that correct yeah yeah this was before i was born yeah i was born in a post 3d video game world Mm -hmm. it was (laughs) (laughs) so uh in the manhattan section guess we're actually going to have the option to access a third attraction and at this point uh you can see in our show notes uh i've included a photo and you can actually see that the, the uh it's called the exterior rendering for the gorilla ride so a lot of mm. them in the press called it king kong and in the pre-show we were discussing whether or not king kong is in the public domain i guess the character isn't but the story is hmm. so i don't know if they could call it the king kong attraction but it was definitely king kong i don't know right. what else you would reckon i mean everybody would call it king kong uh, yeah, I, I was I was curious because my first thought was uh, that there was the. Uh, actually, now I'm beginning to check. Did 
Disney did work on a King Kong movie, yes or no? Am I dreaming something? You're dreaming something. What? Okay, oh, edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> what was I, the re- I, who did the reboot? Like the 90s uh, one. Universal did all these reboots. Did uh, they really? Yeah, except for, uh, because I believe Legendary Entertainment gained the rights to the character King Kong for Kong Skull Island. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, uh, uh, moving on, right? <laughs> <laughs> so guests would purchase their tickets to the Belly of the Beast. Yes, that was the name of the attraction, apparently. Entering in uh, the belly of the gorilla, you would so you would enter in and you would be seated seated in these rows to fix the flat bars um, in these kind of stadium seating sort of way. They would be facing towards the Las Vegas Strip in a translucent window that gave them an outside view. On the exterior, the passerbys would see the gorilla lurch to life as it would roar and start climbing. So the legs and the arms would start climbing as the the face would start moving and roaring. And it would climb the tower's 630-foot leg. After reaching the apex, the gorilla would be shot via audio heard inside the cabin and would fall several feet at a time, giving guests a free fall sensation like they've never felt before. This combination of animatronic and ride elements was incredibly ahead of its time and may have been ahead of our time as well, because I can't imagine anybody ever doing this. <laughs> and you can see that sort of in the show notes, the, uh, the sort of uh, stadium seating. It looks like a giant theater. Yeah, it's there. it's it's worth uh, certainly it's it's worth taking a look at because I you're exactly right. I literally have no clue. They could barely build the uh, the Yeti and uh, right. Expedition Everest. Exactly. This would have now, to be. Gosh, what do you, what do you think? This had to be like a hundred, like like ninety feet tall. Absolutely. I mean, you had to fit so and so number of rows of people, mm-hmm. um, and if they were expecting this thing to like actually move more so than just it was a static mm-hmm. um gorilla right that would just raise and lower even that is still pretty impressive exactly uh, in terms of weight but yeah this this uh uh obviously we'll get into it but it's incredibly um their confidence is very impressive yes <laughs> yes indeed so, years later, another proposed attraction was the so-called Fish Hook Coaster, developed by Aerodynamics in the early 2000s. This coaster would, much like Kong, be loaded in the base of the tower. Riders would enter capsules with four stadium seating rows of six for a total of 16 passengers. They then would ascend a 740-foot elevator shaft. Once reaching the top, the coaster trains would lurch out and plunge down a beyond vertical 700-foot drop, reaching speeds of 122 to 125 miles per hour for windshield in front of them, blocking the likely painful wind shear. Wind shear. Uh, the coaster leveled out and climbed a 420-foot tall spike on the other side of the road, and then reversed backwards, much like a shuttle coaster would. Ascend the first spike again before leveling out and dropping into a shaft that would open up, taking guests back to the loading area. And once again, there's a photo here. You can see that kind of that fish hook shape. Right. And that sort of bridge that would kind of go over the road there. This would immediately become the tallest, fastest, and most intense coaster in the world, hanging over Las Vegas Boulevard and giving the tower yet another incredible attraction due to open in 2004. Could you imagine being hammered on that ride? Oh my God. <laughs> it's hard to imagine the, the being hammered on the rides that are currently there. <laughs> let alone let alone these. Just, just being on this ride, just sounds insane i mean i know that they wanted to open what is it called do you know about the skyplex no okay this giant tower that this dude wants to build uh, that's like i think like 500 600 feet and you like scale it's like a coaster that you would scale like vertically in and then like like take around the base and kind of go around it for this is an iDrive in Florida. Yeah, it was an iDrive project. It never happened. Shocker. 
<laughs> the guy wanted to oh, build attra- it last time. <laughs> I kind of reminds me of that. Attractions Magazine, as of last year, says it might happen. Okay, sure. All right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does uh, uh, look, look, of course, similar. It's They're interesting ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, unless, you know, <laughs> you can't take 125 mile an hour wind. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's go into why it wasn't built. Belly of the Beast, as seen as the, seen as the second phase attraction for the Stratosphere Tower, was nixed in July 1996, citing that the ride was too technologically ambitious for the attraction that was already seeing financial difficulties. Neighbors and residents also disliked the noise pollution due to the gorilla growling and the roaring all night long. <laughs> For the fishhook coaster, this was Aerodynamics' last chance at keeping their business alive after the failure of the experimental X40 coaster at Six Flags Magic Mountain. The project was immediately halted by na- hated by neighbors and halted by neighbors and the city alike once again due to noise concerns. But the, also the fact that the coaster just looked plain ugly with its grotesque form. An unbecoming yellow and blue color scheme seen in the project's model. And actually for a while in the stratosphere itself, if you went downstairs, you can actually see this model of the coaster. And boy, does that thing look ugly. That does. Ooh, what are those colors? Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> it's just it's it's not a it's not a good looking coaster. Well, the well, obviously, uh, yeah, if you so the picture like the con picture almost seems like it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, really. It's an interesting to put King Kong on just some random tower. Mm-hmm. Um, but this uh, is just an appendage. It's yeah. almost like a growth coming out of the, the tower. It really uh, is. It's just, uh, it kind of ruins it almost. Yeah, because it's t- it's more dominant in like scale and size than the actual thing itself. I, I don't want It goes off onto the street. I don't want to get too gross, but I could tell you exactly <laughs> what people would refer to it as it was built <laughs> and only yeah, especially one in thing Vegas. comes to mind on that <laughs> and i don't think it would be called a tail <laughs> let's just mm. say that okay so officials tried scaling down the model to 500 feet fully enclosing the cars to reduce screams but the project was truly doomed as aerodynamics went bankrupt leaving the project without a manufacturer Combined with hesitation by the city for approval and residents against the project, the coaster was nixed in 2002. Aerodynamics, by the way, was bought by SNS Sansei, and uh, currently the uh, coaster manufacturer uh, uh, maintains all existing aerodynamics coasters, but uh, the SNS, they obviously are have their own coaster production. So you do not see any more aero coasters in that style anymore. And probably for good reason, as um they were they were kind of old school style, and it's probably best that SNS does its own thing. So in the following years, the high roller coaster was dismantled and replaced by two new thorough rides. The seesaw sled flat ride called X Scream, which plunged riders over the edge of the tower. And so, and I don't know if you saw this one, but it, it's kind of this uh, sled that you would sit on, and the sled would slightly sit over this uh, this sort of seesaw, so it would teeter downwards, and you would right. head and plunge right over it. And then Insanity, which was a swing ride, which is a swing ride, which swings guests out over the edge, so you uh, sort of have uh, a a swing ride that will go over this loading dock and then occasionally go over the edge of the actual tower itself. Pretty terrifying. Eventually guests were offered the chance to do a controlled 850 foot base jump off the tower called sky jump. Finally fulfilling the attractions want to let guests experience a plunge to the Las Vegas strip. This one, I'm not sure if you're familiar with. Hmm. I, I so I'm on the uh, I am I, I looked at the uh, the rides that are still open there. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's X Scream, like you said, Insanity, um, and then now, so you're you're saying that they're I saw a picture. So they do bungee jumping, I guess, right yes. off of the top. Pretty so much. is it what is um, big big shot? Big shot is an SNS uh, space shop tower. So mm-hmm. you know Doctor Doom's Fearfall at yes. Universal. 
pretty much right. if you put that on top of a 920 foot tower does it so but it's only the 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 drop right is only a hundred or so feet it's a hundred and sixty um, feet but you shoot up instead of drop oh oh interesting mm-hmm. so it's a it's a slow drop yeah yeah so you fast up you know sort mm-hmm. of a nice air down fast up air down oh that seems comfortable right it's uh... it's neat <laughs> it's it's scarier because you're super up high a thousand feet in the air I guess, right, right? Mm-hmm. yeah so that's that's kind of what like makes it a little bit more nerve-wracking than usual mm. mm-hmm. and of course there's an observation deck and a rotating restaurant underneath uh i actually once again i was just talking about it i went um about a month ago to check it out for the first time in a long time um we didn't i did not go up on the outside observation deck because it was closed because it was raining and mm. being in the tower in the rain is very interesting uh, but the observation deck uh it's it's a better view than i remember it being uh they actually recently refurbed it and it's very nice in there now it used to be pretty tacky in there hmm. but they've they've kind of made it a little bit nicer so they change the theming or is it just like a it's it's a bit it's more modern okay yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. it has a it has that kind of less of a dirty 90s casino sheen to it and it's just kind of more <laughs> more streamlined the restaurants are more and bars are more in line now and hmm. it, it's nice up there it's less gift shops too I remember the thing had full of gift shops. It only has one gift shop now, which is much cleaner. So what if, what if uh, these two attractions, Belly of the Beast and the Fish Hook Coaster, were built? Uh, would they still exist today? Would it be a, another dismal failure for the property? And would people remember them fondly? So uh, let's let's talk about the, uh, the King Kong ride first. If this were built, I think it would have broken... Number one, within a year, the oh, yes. limbs, the arms, and the, the face would not move anymore. No, I, I will. I don't understand how they would even get that to move in the first place. Right, my mind obviously it's not as fluid as the Yeti uh, or the uh, yeah the Yeti and <laughs> Expedition Everest. But mm-hmm. if you're gonna have a massive scale animatronic, or even just I don't know what you would call it at this point, just like a robot <laughs> right? Um, with people inside of it and it's going to scale and it's going to move up and down. So there's working parts in the animatronic and there's working parts as it scales the building. There's so many moving pieces there. And it's also like in the middle of Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't seem like something that would be finished, let alone would work for more than about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> probably what you're saying is right, is that if after a while they would just stop the working of the the uh, the the King Kong and just have it scale up and down and just be a drop tower. Right. Um, yeah, that gives people some G's. <laughs> I think that the growling and roaring would have lasted maybe two weeks. And they were oh, like, yeah. yeah, we're getting noise complaints like crazy. We're well, yeah, that's turn that thing off like like weirdly like disneyland right it's a residential area to mm. los An- las vegas is i mean as you know living there right but what surprised me visiting the first time is that it's not like an isolated area it's, it's not it's, no. a, it's like a hop skip a jump away from the first house mm-hmm. um and neighborhoods and especially as you go further off so uh that's actually one question out of curiosity living there how so yes, of course, a screaming ape would be pretty loud for most people. But are, isn't the strip loud in and of itself late at night? You have to stay on the strip in order to really get a sense of how loud it can be, mm. and it depends. So we have to remember about the strip is mm-hmm. that the whole thing is hotels, and hotels right. are people sleeping. Now, you do have a problem with nightclubs, but those mostly affect the hotel rooms that are nearest those nightclubs. But right. once again, it's not that loud. A lot of people think that it would be 
pure craziness, but only it is on like New Year's Eve or uh, New Year's Eve and maybe the 4th of July. And that's it. Otherwise, it's actually pretty contained. Otherwise, yeah. I would say like Fremont Street's a little crazier, but that also has like this canopy over it, which is the Fremont Mm -hmm. Street experience. And that sort of contains most of the noise for the hotel rooms that are above it. But that's kind of what you have to remember. And and that's why, again, I don't think this growling would have worked because it's also pretty close to these, the the thousand room uh, tower that's right there at the stratosphere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then in that case, well, in that case, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, obviously, you're right. People would have just freaked out. You know? Right. But people live with the Disneyland fireworks. So it, it's true. <laughs> somehow. Yeah. But those only yeah, occur at 925, I guess. It's like clockwork. true instead of all night long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I could imagine this thing wouldn't run very long anyways. <laughs> right. I, I think that. It would have, uh, like I said, they would have shut off most of it eventually. And and then pretty much like within maybe five years, it would be gone. We would probably be looking back on this and going, hey, remember when uh, there was a King Kong that scaled the stratosphere tower? (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. That was that was weird. That was a Mm. thing that happened. Here's a POV (laughs) of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure that was weird. Okay. It wouldn't be here nowadays. Yeah, I agree. I don't don't think it could. I literally don't think it could technically have stood the test of time, Mm -hmm. Um, let alone like people giving a a damn about it. Yeah, I I think it's an easier removal than the next thing, which is the fish hook coaster. Mm, The fish hook coaster. I think that would still be here today, much to the chagrin of people, even if it didn't run. The demolition costs on that alone would have been astronomical. I think I think that in terms of that ride, I'm not sure it looks pretty, right? Like we were saying before, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of gross, the fish hook. I'm not sure if you'd be able to really remove it. You'd kind of be stuck with it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's almost a more reasonable option with a similar kind of thrill, I guess, to the King Kong ride. Right. right? Like the King Kong ride reminds me almost of like the Mickey Mouse Hotel. Uh, yeah, that Eisner pitch. By the way, it, I it, Eisner did produce that King Kong movie, so I wasn't too far off. <laughs> oh, which one? <laughs> or he so the the Paramount King the Kong Paramount movie one, in yeah, the Paramount one, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he the, was the head of Paramount. Of the Paramount. Yeah, so so right. there you go. You got the Eisner. <laughs> I think I read. I think I read Disney War, and that mm. maybe is where I heard it. So it wasn't Disney, but yeah, the the Eisner mention in. Um, I, I think that the those ideas are cool. And like they, they make for great history, right? As we as we discuss now, but I, I it doesn't seem feasible as something that people would ride multiple times, or something that would even fit into the aesthetic of Las Vegas. You know, there's like a timeless quality of Las Vegas, and that's gambling that's mm-hmm. been with it forever, um, and perhaps the family friendly stuff that's still around, like the Eminem Experience, I guess, or. I don't know the Bellagio fountains. I mean, I know that's older, Mirage. but still, it's right, right. The Mirage um, volcano. We don't have a pirates thing anymore. The pirate mm. sinking battle anymore, right? But there, there's some, there's some stuff. There's some themed stuff still kind of lingering around here and there. Well, New York, New York. Yeah, New York, New York. That's the, I've only I've only stayed in New York, New York. So, oh. uh, yeah, I it, which is it's it's nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's things. Well, one thing I, I want to mention, this is related vaguely, is that when I was there, so I was I drove through Las Vegas and like it was one of those late night. I need to make a pit stop or else I'll, you know, I'm too tired to keep driving mm-hmm. um, because uh, well, we'll get into this at another time. But um, long story short, I'd never walked the strip before. I'd been to Vegas, but I'd never gotten like on foot and walked the strip. And mm-hmm. this is about I got in there around 11 o'clock. And probably got onto the strip by midnight. And um, I was surprised by how many children there were. There. Yes. Yes. That like, is true. like children, children. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <laughs> Cause my first thought before going is, is my father's been to Vegas 
you know, of course, many times mm -hmm. uh, business and stuff like that. And he was like, you know, when he's been maybe pop off the strip around midnight. Right. Because after that, it's it was, you know, strip clubs and stuff like that. Right. Like the, the, the cards they pass out, um, which still happened. Yes. But it was packed and there were children. Mm -hmm. So perhaps King Kong was not a necessity. Right. <laughs> it seems like um, it seems like the family friendly options are I, I honestly don't know what draws you to bring a five year old to Las Vegas. But um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily. Obviously, the family friendly stuff wasn't necessary for children. And at the same time, this would have just been a massive expenditure for what I think would have been a mild uh, interest. The roller coaster, on the other hand, clearly the one in New York, New York is popular enough, right? Yeah, it is. And they've um, recently put new trains on it. It's notoriously rough. It's by also another defunct uh, coaster uh, manufacturer, Togo. It was made and then uh, Togo, most uh, most of it, uh, the remaining rides are taken care of by Premier Rides. And they just put these new trains on it, which, which do improve it quite a bit. Hmm. Yeah, because I've I've only heard like that it's incredibly like rocky yeah. and uh, um, not something that you quite want to do. I guess you don't expect like you know theme park perfection, mm -hmm. smooth roller coasters from Las Vegas. But I don't know. I, I'm more willing to say that the fishhook coaster would have been a rather successful. Attraction. Really? Well, the one thing that's inhibiting it is the distance from the strip. Right. Mm -hmm. But because, you know, the 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 at least you can see the New York, New York coaster and go in and then go on it. Um, this is pretty far. But I, I don't know, a simple, a high, high stakes roller coaster off the Las Vegas strip that for all intents and purposes is probably the most intense coaster anybody going to Vegas in America would see. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the, like this, what did it say? A hundred. If it was originally released as the, uh, it was initially anticipated where it would peak at 125 miles, yeah, an, miles hour. an hour. Yeah. That's almost like it's in the top five fastest coasters, like in the real world right now mm -hmm. that's ever been made. So right. I, I think that could have been an interesting one. If not, you know, maybe not have lasted more than 15 years in like the public interest. Yeah. I think that the coaster, it might still be here today. I knew know that um, even if it were to be built, I think they had a scaled down version that was like 400 feet and only went mm -hmm. like 95 miles per hour, which I figure at that point, what's the point? There's no point anymore, but right. Even if it were to operate, I think it wouldn't have been able to operate long into the night, which means like, what's the point? Because most most of the Stratosphere Tower actually gets its more of its business at night because people want to go up to the observation to see the lights. And that's that's the, the biggest attraction for the Stratosphere. Um, and that goes for all the other observations in the area we have. We have three in Las Vegas. Um, we have the Stratosphere. We have the Eiffel Tower, which the Eiffel Tower one is interesting. That's only 500 feet, but you're actually right on the strip. Mm -hmm. And then you have the High Roller, which is the 550-foot observation wheel. And that takes you up to 550 feet, but you're also in the middle of the strip there. But you're slightly off the strip. But mm. you get more of a 360 view of the strip, whereas the... Whereas the stratosphere is interesting because once again, it's double those heights, but you get a view equally of the strip and downtown as well as the surrounding Henderson and Summerlin areas. So when you're, when you're looking around, that's like actually pretty much the best view of the overall Las Vegas Valley, I would say it would be the stratosphere tower. And especially but, but if you want to see the lights. But you're so to be clear, you said that the stratosphere tower is double the 500 feet that the other one offer. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Well, but that would make it so that the roller coaster, which uh, if I remember, yeah, it doesn't go to the top. That would be, according to the notes, 700 feet in the initial observation, the 700 foot drop. Yeah. Would the view be like as nice from there? Or are you still pretty low? 
from there uh, compared so, to seeing okay. the strip like you could so, definitely see the valley but uh, a lot of the problem with that in addition mm-hmm. the uh where it's looking mm-hmm. you would be staring at the east so you would be looking straight at henderson and knowing <laughs> that the coaster uh would probably have a limited uh point of view vantage it wouldn't be more about the view. It'd be more about the thrill. Right. So you would have to crane your neck to the right to see the strip. Yeah. That seems like a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, If it were actually built to build a high roller coaster in Las Vegas of all places, which is known for, you know, many things amongst Mm -hmm. the view at like nighttime or something like that. Right. Um, To be pointed, you know, pretty not directly at the at the 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 areas of interest um Mm -hmm. i don't know it's an interesting position because the strat tower seems to be all vaguely about its position and its view at least in from what i've interpreted from from what i've read Mm -hmm. the king kong ride i don't believe there was any windows right because you're inside you are no no you are in the window you there's a translucent window there inside the monkey yes (laughs) all right that's (laughs) <laughs> all right, let's, going back to the last segment. No, that's really stupid. Uh, so never mind. But um, but in that yeah, you, one, you, but but however, in that one, you are facing the strip. Okay, because see, that seems like I mean, that seems like a, not really a an everybody friendly i uh, kind of ride. You mm-hmm. know, like if uh, there's like there's certain ways to do viewing and raising and lowering observation towers. Uh, where you want to get the most number of middle road tourists as possible. Hershey Park has one of those, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, the the kissing tower has it's just rises and lowers. Um, this with giving some G's, right? Getting some free fall here on the King Kong. Having the window is like in- interesting because you get to see out there, though it's not a replacement for the actual Strat Tower. Mm-hmm. Um, the roller coaster, though. Is confusing because on a roller coaster you're gar- you're basically given the freedom of a uncovered view, right? right. And you might have, you might have to crank your head a little bit, right? But mm-hmm. um, placing it in such an odd position makes me wonder if the if guests would find it less interesting than it potentially could have been mm-hmm. if they would leave the ride thinking, well, maybe 125 miles an hour is enough to not think about it, but right. um, you know, people could think. Man, I really wish I was looking at something a lot cooler than than Henderson, you said. So. <laughs> hey, that's where I live, <laughs> sir. Well, look, <laughs> the suburbs of, of Las Vegas. I know, it's not that interesting. Strip. <laughs> but never mind, never mind. You could see the, the famous home of Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, recording they, they had just built right it. Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I just... I don't. I, I don't think that the, uh, the King Kong one. I think would be remembered a little bit more fondly than the uh, Fish Hook coaster would. Hmm. I, I just think the Fish Hook coaster is just a monstrosity. It is ugly. Mm-hmm. I remember when it was pitched way back when. I, I my parents didn't think it was going to be built. I didn't think it was going to be built, and it never got built. Seems like you guys saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, I think everybody <laughs> did. I don't think anybody thought this was actually going to happen. And plus, I-, I think that the Stratosphere Tower really benefits now from the fact that all of its rides are really up high, and you get the jump off, jump off a building. That, right now, that that's what it's all about. You know, no, no need for these extraneous things on the sides. Yeah, that's true. It, it really the the ones that are currently implemented just nail what the the draw is, and mm-hmm. it's to see very high up in a in a thrilling experience. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have all of the the bells and whistles that might be cool as ideas, but mm-hmm. seem expensive ways to date your attraction. Right. So uh, now we come to our last segment: build it or not. So do we wish that either this belly of the beast or the fish hook coaster would be constructed? Hmm. It's a much harder question than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? I think that. So I said this on the SNS Disney SNS Disney episode that <laughs> the belly uh, that that if I could like Thanos snap 
one of them like and mm-hmm. like just see it for a second then Thanos snap and it would be gone I would do that for the King Kong one I think the King Kong one would be interesting the fish hook absolutely not no 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 way no way if you see what's over Las Vegas Boulevard now uh, they actually mm-hmm. constructed this beautiful bridge uh, that's actually a, not a bridge but kind of like this kind of landscaped bridge that you can't walk over it's kind of like a sculpture um, if you want to look that up and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty much because uh, one fun fact of Vegas uh, the actual strip itself is in an unincorporated area called Paradise Nevada and it's not until you pass the stratosphere tower that you enter in Las Vegas Nevada pre- proper so that's why mm-hmm. there's there's this thing right there that says you're entering Las Vegas because technically there is um it uh, used to be another Las Vegas sign, but now it's that. There's actually, I believe there's another Las Vegas sign that's also on Boulder Highway. Most, most people don't know there's multiple of of the famous sign that you see mm. when you're going towards the strip. No, right. You know about the famous sign. Uh, I will not. <laughs> look, Wait, look, you don't know the, the Las Vegas stores. sign? The, the famous Hold on, one? let me look at it. Okay, okay. Yes, I yes, I know. Okay. I know. I've seen pictures. I don't think I actually saw it when I was there. Maybe I didn't mm-hmm. notice it. But yes, yeah, I, I am aware of the... It was in Twin Peaks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, if you've seen anything in pop culture, you should know this sign. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, I uh, So I think that King Kong would have been neat. I don't think it would have lasted. So... Mm, I think I would have liked to see it. I'm going to say build the King Kong, not the fish hook. <laughs> I think for the sheer novelty of the idea, if I'm talking strictly from like, well, no, I don't think I could say build the King Kong because while I'd like to see it, right? While I like the idea and I'd like to see it, I think I would go on it or mm-hmm. the turnout would like the actual product would have been so cheap. Or maybe not cheap, but like lackluster. That I, I think it would just be. I don't think many people would be interested in it, uh, mm-hmm. especially into the future. The one thing that I can vaguely see being successful is the fish hook as an idea, though I don't think it would have drawn anybody to the strat. And yeah. I think most people would have never been on it because those who would go on it, like the tourists who might see it, would be turned off Mm -hmm. definitely by the incredible uh, speeds that this thing goes at. This also, by the way, we talked a lot about noise for the King Kong one. This one a bit incredibly loud. Have you ever been the Six Flags Magic Mountain? I have not. Okay, uh, the Superman ride. Uh, there is an area of the Superman ride. Superman, it goes 120, uh, like 100 miles per hour, and goes up a 400 foot spike. And there's mm-hmm. this point in the park where you actually walk right under the uh, the spike of it, and it's it's uh-huh. it's, it's very loud, very loud. And so, is it I because think, of the speed of the coaster? Yes. Mm. And I think this would have been extremely loud. This is Escape from Krypton. You're talking yes. about? Or? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So these are the. The old school kind of drop towers, right? Um, no, no. This is more of a this is a, a linear induction motor powered coaster that would be, go very well, so fast thing, and go up the spike. Oh, it goes up the spike. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I can imagine that because it it's gonna pick up some speed, um, mm-hmm. especially if it you know. Uh, so that's true. If people had a problem with the gorilla. Yeah, and they'll certainly have a problem with the, this this the, coaster, the roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, especially with what Vegas is now, I don't necessarily think that there's room in Vegas anymore for for rides. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're actually opening, they're opening up a flyover, sort of a Soren ripoff. We talked about this on the Jurassic Park. Yes, episode. they're actually opening it in a week. I'm going in one week. Like, perhaps, I don't know, it confuses me as to what Vegas is about. So, Vegas, it seems like a really neat spot, but when I see something like Meow Wolf there, Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if they're underselling their own, like, opportunities. Because Las Vegas, especially nowadays, I think 
predominantly is a spot for you to drink, gamble, and like meet somebody and, and go to a s- thing, smoke weed, and well, and smoke. Yeah, weed, yeah, right? because but, that's that's that. I think that's a large part of what's fueling Area Fifteen, which is what you're talking about. Uh, I actually mm-hmm. was just there. I've been there several times, and it definitely caters to that young party crowd. Well, that seems that's the. Um, uh yeah it's it just it surprises me I, it, 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 it it the young like hipster i guess party kind of crowd um i i find all of it super interesting as an idea but i'm confused as to maybe there is a, a market for it but even then i don't think theme park rides are going to be trendy enough right mm-hmm. like for example Meow Wolf or Omega Mart seems really neat, and yes. I am frustrated that I had to get to keep moving, um, mm-hmm. to keep moving westward because I would have definitely stopped and seen that. But it, it it's like a nice blend of immersive experience and also something trendy, right? Something yes. very very artsy. Um, you know, there are things that are like pure thrill that definitely appeal to most people, but these two rides in particular. I don't know if they would have kept people interested because they're not, they're not, they're not trendy enough and they're not yeah. like thrill, you know, like literally the ones on the top of the strat right now are just pure thrill. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if these are as much like that. So it's, mm-hmm. they're interesting ideas, but to me, it's a weird, they're, weird they're also relatively experiment. simple in comparison. Yes. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. Although it is a giant ape. So <laughs> I would say build neither. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think that that about does it for the unbuilt rides of Stratosphere Tower. I know it's like you could have done Western River Expedition. Why didn't you do that? Stratosphere Tower? That's a weird choice. Hmm. I think the reason why we're doing this is because there's so much more outside of Disney and Universal. And this is a great way of broadening our horizons for what exactly an unbuilt thematic attraction can be and it's Mm. not all crazy dark rides it's not all floating amusement parks there are things outside of disney and there's going to be a lot of disney but there's also going to be a little bit of las vegas as well and the beyond but we will be back at disney next time i can tease that and that's going to be a lot of fun so uh, in the meantime, please follow us on social media on Twitter and at Unbuilt Pod. You can reach me at, at Open Mother's Mail and Ryan Dorman at, at Open the Dorman. Feel free to email us at unbuiltpod at gmail.com and rate us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Anchor or wherever you find this podcast. Please write a review and tell us how we're doing. And if you don't like us, thank you for listening to the Retro Disney World podcast. I'm Hal Bowers. We'll see you here next time. See ya. Happy birthday, Mom.